Hi, my name is Alex Katz. I'm an entrepreneur, holistic health, life, and behavior change coach. I'm a speaker, Ninja Warrior athlete, nonprofit founder and director, and host of Shred the Should podcast. And I'm so excited to be here today with Pearl. This is Pearl Sharenza with Women's Successful Living, and you are on for the Conversations with Pearl. And today I'm excited to have a, an amazing entrepreneur with us today. Her name is Alex Katz. She's an entrepreneur, holistic health, life, and behavior change coach. She's a speaker, a ninja warrior athlete. Can't wait to talk about that. She's a nonprofit founder, director, and host of Shred the Should podcast. She holds a degree in psychology a BA, Spanish BA, Human Development, and Higher Education MS, and has over eight years of professional experience in the fields of education, fitness, and mental health. And you guys know I love talking about mental health. Alex provides a holistic, strengths-based, and trauma-informed approach to wellness and behavior change that helps her clients shred their should shame from strengths in their stories, communicate and act with confidence, and improve their lives. She is on a mission to be who she needed to be, who she was younger, and help others overcome life's obstacles. And when she's not coaching, training, or running her nonprofits, Neighborhood Ninjas, Foster Independence Foundation, Texas Rescue Networks, Alex can also be found lifting, running, or playing with her pups, Spartan and Ninja. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the show today. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So I am, I I love those names for the dog Spartan Ninja. That's so cool. And you've got so many different things you're doing. I just love this, get rid of the should. So tell us a little bit, how, tell us about your journey. Like what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, that's a great question. So I always knew I wanted to help people. I remember being in high school and thinking I wanted to be a therapist. That was, that was the goal. So Actually, at that point in time, I cut contact with my parents when I was 17 and went to college, pursued a degree in psychology and a degree in Spanish. I grew up in a really abusive household. And when I cut contact with them, I wasn't really prepared for the struggles I was going to face as a college student without parent contact, not necessarily because they had provided all the support that I lost, but more so because of how the system is set up. You know, so just being a college student, for example, you need to fill out the federal application for financial aid, which requires parent information on it, which I didn't have. I didn't realize that the residence halls would shut down for a total of four or five months during the year, leaving me with nowhere to go. You know, I didn't realize that my lack of info on the FAFSA would mean that I couldn't register for classes. I couldn't register for housing. So there were a lot of barriers that I wasn't prepared for. I kind of thought it was like, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to be a varsity athlete and I'm going to get straight A's and then I'm going to get a scholarship and I'm going to go to school and it's all going to be better. And that was not the case. And it was very difficult. And I worked 80 hours a week. I struggled a lot with my mental health, depression, anxiety, eating disorder, broke my back twice. So a lot of different struggles that I went through in that process of getting my education. And it was then that I realized that I wanted to help other students in similar situations. That's also where I got really into health and fitness because after breaking my back, I was like, that sucked. I never want that to happen again. So I wanted to learn everything I could about the human body. I became a personal trainer and started getting involved 
in that world on the side as well. You know, at the same time, I am going to school for psychology. I'm doing counseling internships, getting, you know, I got my master's in higher education and student affairs to help other students. So all of that kind of led me down the path to where I am today. And then when the pandemic started, I was working full-time at a university running a college access program for high schoolers in foster care and creating a college program for students who were in similar situations. And that was my quote-unquote dream job. Like when I graduated high school, that was the job at that university where I had done my undergrad that I wanted. And then, you know, I'm coaching at a Ninja Warrior gym on the side. I'm coaching kickboxing on the side. Everything's great. Pandemic starts, everything shuts down. I lose all three jobs. And so I had to pivot really quickly and that's where I started my business. And then I'm providing all this holistic support completely virtually since the beginning of 2020. And then I started Foster Independence Foundation to continue the work that I was doing with college students experiencing family estrangement and housing insecurity because nothing like that really exists anywhere. And the work that I had been doing, that was my own thing that wasn't funded through the university or anything like that. So I started that organization to be able to provide that support for people. And then somewhere in between all of this, I took over Neighborhood Ninjas as the director. I had been their volunteer outreach coordinator up until that point. And then moving down to Texas, I thought I knew rescue when I lived in New England. I, you know, I'm like, okay, we walk the dogs, we help them get adopted, we read applications. I came down here, I moved to San Antonio before I moved to Austin. And I was like, oh, I can't leave my house without seeing a stray dog. Great. You know, and so that was really hard for me. I'm kind of the person that sees something and needs to do something. So that's basically how we ended up here with all of the work that I'm doing. And then, you know, somewhere along there, I started a podcast too that's called Shred the Should because what I realized in my coaching and speaking work is that shoulds and should shame are a really big predictor of not only someone's mental health, but their willingness to take risks in their lives, how they feel about themselves, how they feel about their future. So I'm really excited to help people shred that should shame. And that's something I'm excited to talk about today. Wow. It's so much amazing stuff you're doing there. So let's talk about 17 I mean, I graduated high school at 17, went off my own. I'm 58 years young. And when I went to school, our teachers weren't really vested in helping us find how to get to college, right? So I didn't. I went, I was the school of hard knocks, I guess you could say. But I can't imagine being 17. I 17 just because that's how old I was when I graduated, but I can't imagine being 17 years old, cutting yourself off from a, a situation that was not healthy for you. And then going out and being like, yeah, because who would I probably would have thought the same thing. I'm going to go to college. I'll have a place to stay, you know, all that stuff. And then, bam, it's all that reality of all that come in at such a young age. And to say, I'm going to push through this. I'm going to figure this out. That's amazing. Like, let's just talk about that for a second. Like, that's such a strong strength, like that strength in you and that perseverance, right? So let me just, I just want to unpack that for a second if we can. Where is uh, like when you and then and then what I thought was really cool is as you're sharing your story is you also found a way to pay it forward. Right. To say, I know what I went through back here and I know I'm not alone and I have a son that's adopted. I very much have been very, you know, volunteering with um, foster care nonprofits and things like that as well. So tell us, you know, what was one of the biggest things that you went through that you could say, looking back, it really defined your life at that young age. 
Yeah, there are so many ways that I could answer that. And also thank you for the work that you're doing. That's awesome. I love that. And for me, so what def- what was a defining moment for me? I There's actually a couple that I would want to talk about. You know, I think when I tell the story, I talk about I was 17 and I left and here's what happened. But the reality is, and this is something I talk a lot about when I talk about student housing insecurity, people think that the issue is that you don't have somewhere to live or you don't have food. And yes, and those are symptoms of a greater issue, right? So you're talking about being 17, going off on your own. For me, one of the biggest barriers I faced was the fact that in order to gain what's called independent status at the university, which is where I can do the FAFSA by myself, I don't need parent info on it. I had to have all sorts of proof. And working with students on this for years, I've been helping them navigate this process. Proof is basically a letter by a teacher, a counselor, somebody you know, third party that's on letterhead that can attest to the situation being valid. Maybe it's a DCF letter. Maybe it's a police report. The problem with this is that DCF cases expire after a certain period of time. So I had one. It expired. I did not have a recent or valid police report. And I didn't have any letters from staff members at my school. Why? Because if you are a minor and you're experiencing abuse and you report it, they are mandated reporters. And so something must be done about it. Right. And so then a DCF case will be made. Maybe you'll be removed from the home. Maybe you won't. Right. But it's very tricky because if you do share what you're going through, you do run the risk of ending up in foster care, which not, not everybody wants to do right at that age, or you run the risk of sharing it and they asking the the teachers to not do anything. And maybe they listen to you and then they potentially can lose their jobs. Right. And so I actually was in a situation where DCF was called when I was younger and I was not removed from the home. And that was way worse for me. So, you know, when I talk about homelessness starting at age 17, I remember being in elementary school and having a trash bag of my quote unquote prized possessions at the time hanging out my window because I never knew when my parents were going to kick me out. And that was like as early as elementary school. I remember my best friend would hide me in her basement. We made like a little fort out of boxes for me, you know, and I was really lucky because. So talking about defining moments, you know, we talk about a lot of protective factors with mental health and a protective factor for me at the time, I had a really great best friend. I read a lot. So for me, things like Harry Potter or Matilda, I resonated a lot with those stories. So to me, I was just like, ah, I'm just a character in a book and this is what's happening. And let me try to figure my way out of this. You know, I kind of tried to make it a game in my head almost to figure out, okay, we're on chapter 12 right now. How is the story going to end? So that was really helpful. And then I did have some teachers and coaches who were very, very supportive. I really wanted to do track. I was a varsity track athlete, but I technically wasn't allowed to do it because of my parents. So my track coach was also my gym coach. She would let me, you know, train during gym or one of my teachers would let me sleep during class. He didn't know what was going on. He just knew that I wasn't sleeping at home, right? So those types of things really helped me to be as successful as I was in high school. I was an AP student. I was a varsity athlete. I was running community service orgs. And I've always kind of had this drive to help other people in similar situations. Fast forward to college, I was really struggling because what I found was that it was not safe still for me to share the situation. 
my not safe in the sense of like, oh, I'm afraid of my parents, right? Which maybe it was at one point. Now it's changed. Now I'm on my own. I'm a teenager. And I just want to make friends. I just want to feel like I belong at this school. And what I found early on was that other students who were that same age were not prepared to hear about somebody in that type of situation because it made them examine their own privilege. Like, oh, we're all going home for break. Like, I, I remember, and I tell this story, you know, there was a group of girls that I really wanted to be friends with. And I remember them all being like, we're going home for break. How cute are our parents? They're so cute. We should all have them be friends because we're all friends. And then they remembered that I was in the room and they didn't know anything about my story. They just knew there was something weird going on. Like they'd ask when I was getting picked up, I'd avoid the question, you know, stuff like that. And it made them feel really awkward. And that actually impacted my relationship with them. So as somebody who just wanted to feel accepted, right? Because we talk about mental health, that's one of the biggest predictors of how your mental health is going to be. Do you have quality relationships? Do you feel accepted? So at that point, that's what I wanted. So I hid my situation a lot because I just wanted to be normal. And I found myself sneaking in and out of the dorm rooms during break. So that was, you know, again, going back to those stories, I told myself I was like Harriet the Spy or something. And that was just part of the part of the book. And I was really, really struggling. I was working full time. I was working 80 hour weeks. So more than full time with a double major. I was having all these health issues. I had no guidance. And I remember going to my academic advisor, probably my sophomore year of college. And I was failing statistics because I didn't have access to a computer to do the online work that we needed to do. I was working overnights loading trucks at FedEx. So I couldn't even go when the library was open after hours and I couldn't afford the book. And I decided to take a chance and open up and tell him what was going on. And I remember him basically telling me that he couldn't help me, that maybe college wasn't for me and my priorities were not in the right place. So I should basically just not be there, get my life together, come back at another time. And he told me that I would never get into grad school with the grades that I had. My best bet was to do an internship. And I just sat there and I looked at him and I'm like, you know, that could have been such a make or break moment for me because I'm already like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm struggling so much. I'm crashing in the library to sleep. I'm, you know, all these things that I'm going through. And this is the answer that you're giving me. And now you want me to do an unpaid internship because we, I could not get paid internships in my area at that point in time. So I'm like, you want me to do an unpaid internship on top of my double major and my 80 hour work weeks? Cool. Like, when am I going to do that? And I am somebody who wants to prove people wrong literally all the time, right? So I was like, screw you, we're going to do this. So this is the big pivotal moment that I always talk about. I ended up applying to a peer counseling internship. And I went through the whole interview process. I was selected. I was super excited. And then the first day of classes, I did what I always did, which was I went and sat in on the class that I was not registered for because I couldn't pay my fee bill because I couldn't do the FAFSA. So I knew I was supposed to be there because I was accepted to the program, but I couldn't physically register. So they're there, they're doing attendance. They're like, who is this girl? And the director of the program basically was like, I know you, you interviewed, you did great. You're not on my roster. Why are you not on your my roster? And I decided once again, to take a chance. I was like, you know what? I like this guy. Let's try it. So I told him what was going on. And he was like, nope, not acceptable. We have to fix this. And he basically took me around the school and introduced me to people and helped me actually get my independent status pushed through. 
And to this day, it's been over a decade. He is one of my core mentors. Like when I get married, going to ask him to walk me down the aisle. We joked about it for a long time, but uh, if he's listening to this, you know, there's a reminder. I asked you about this in 2014, but you know, that actually created such, such a core relationship for me. And that turned everything around for me. I ended up making Dean's list after that happened. You know, I went from like failing to Dean's list. And so for me, that was such a pivotal moment because not only did it get me the resources that I needed, right? And obviously like all the work came from me, but all I needed was that one little thing to change to be able to to have that turn around. But it also showed me that there are adults that I can trust, right? And that other people can trust. And so that opened the door for me to try that same form of relationship again with, you know, another professor who ended up coming to my grad school graduation two years after I graduated, right? And again, and so I ended up developing all of these mentors and all of these people who were able to give me guidance. Because again, like being in a situation like that, you don't have anything. You don't have anyone who's like, you graduated, good job, right? Like like a lot of students do. You don't have anyone who's like, here's how you do basic life skills that your parents never taught you. You don't have any of that. So for me, it changed my trust in adults. It changed my entire situation it led me into the career path that I'm in and it showed me who I wanted to be for other students. And then ironically, I ended up coming back to the university to work in the same department as the guy who made the everything happen for me in the first place. So, you know, that was, that was the key moment for me was, was that, and I will always tell that story and I will always embarrass him. But for me, that was really, really pivotal because it showed me who I wanted to be and how I wanted to do it. I, I, you know, I was, as I was sitting here listening, I was like thinking of you in that, in that cardboard box and, you know, your friend kept you safe. And then, you know, thinking as watch, you know, I envisioned that bag hanging over the window, like what you said with your parents so young, you know, when, when we as parents were, that's when we're supposed to, you know, help you and teach you those life skills and love you. And, you know, and, and there are so many that we see, you know, in the foster care system and, and that we don't know about either, you know for help. And like you said, afraid to say anything because you, where you're going to get ripped apart to is also an unknown, you know, and, and the, to hear you share that story. And, um, and then also to, to think about here you go, you, you try, you've done so well, here you are in college and you go to an adult to say, listen, I want to be here. I am determined to be here. I don't care what's in my way. I've already proven it already by being here and have an adult say, well, you shouldn't be here. Just go do that. I mean, you know, I think that's a lot of what we still have in this world today is we don't find a way to help. We don't find a way to get resources. Yeah, maybe he didn't have resources he could give you at that moment, but he could have led you someplace else instead of trying to knock out your dream. And, and you know, often that's what happens. And somebody not, what doesn't have the strength you do that's listening right now might might think, well, then I'll just go do what he says, or I'll just give up, right? We have to think about if somebody tells you you can't, that's when you really need to. That's when you need to climb that mountain. And I talk about often climb the mountain to get to your goals, you know, climb the mountain, stop like what you did. As you're climbing this mountain, you had this person tell you, you can't climb the mountain. You don't know how to climb the mountain. You said, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to sit in this class and then look what happened. And so I want the listeners to take that away that even if you get told you can't do something, don't stop there. If you believe in your heart, you know you can do it and you want to do it, 
Find that next person that can help you. Don't give up on the first one who's a fool, as far as I'm concerned, and wants to squash your dreams because, you, you know, look where you are today. If you had not done all that, we wouldn't be sitting here talking. You wouldn't have seen something that's messed up in the system and went and did this peer, you know, help other peers that have walked a similar journey to yourselves or, or journeys of, you know, not having families. And you wouldn't, I can, I'm sure there's people listening to this right now, Alex, that you've talked to, you helped are saying the same thing about you that you said about your mentor, about what you did for them to help them get through college, help them to find the resources that they need as well. And I know as a, as a mom, I'm just going to tell you, I'm proud of you. I, I just okay. think it's amazing. And I know as a mom, how hard it was to, to help our, my two boys to get to through just to sign up for college and that fast with stuff was a pain in the butt, you know? So I just can't imagine you trying to navigate that on your own. And so I, I think it's just amazing. And I think those that are listening, if you're young, old, I don't care how old you are. Listen to what Alex is saying. Don't give up. Find somebody that can help you do that. I think it's really powerful. I actually have a quick story and reframe. You mentioned the mountain. So ironically, so this advisor wasn't the first person who told me that. You know, I I had a couple of those messages. And what happens to students a lot is the department shuffle where you go to one department, they don't know how to help you because it's not a usual case. They send you to another one. You end up having to tell your story multiple times of this abuse that you've experienced, right? And that's so I try to help students avoid that and just be a middle person and advocate for them. But there was another mentor that I developed. So, you know, I've already trusted this guy. I've trusted another guy. Now I'm in some other, I was in like a teaching internship or something. I'm in another internship and I have another mentor and I was a hot mess. Like I, I acknowledge that I'm getting it done, but I was a hot mess. And I remember this mentor one day turning to me and drawing a picture. And she said, this is the cliff of life. So you're talking about the mountain. It's just, it's so fitting. She goes, this is the cliff of life. And then she draws this person just falling off the mountain. And she's like, and that's you, your goals are at the top. Here's you falling further and further down. Like you need to get it together. And again, that could have been a make or break moment. Like, Hey, here's this person that I look up to. And she's basically like, you're a hot mess. You're falling down this mountain. And I remember pausing and then looking at her and saying, actually, what you just drew is me climbing my way up the mountain because falling assumes I started at the top. I started with down here at the bottom and we're climbing our way up and we're going to make it. But that's kind of the reframe that I have used in every situation where somebody has told me this isn't for you or you're not good enough or you can't do this. It's kind of like, well, here's my goal. Here's where I am, but I know that I'm going to make it. I don't need to know how. I don't need to know when. I just know that I will be resourceful enough to figure out how to get up this mountain, whether or not anyone else believes in me. So for anyone listening, that's that's been my driving force. Not that scenario, but that same idea, that same reframe has been a driving force for me for and, years. And I want to remind the listeners that the other part of the mountain story that I share is that once you get to the top of the mountain, doesn't mean you have to fall down the mountain. Sit down, enjoy the view, see what you've accomplished, look and make notes of what worked, what didn't work, release the stuff that didn't work. And as you come walking back down the mountain and you prepare yourself for the next goal and take those lessons learned. So that's, I love that you have that story too. And you point out that that's you climbing the mountain. So that's really powerful. All right. So now we've gone through college and you are an entrepreneur. You've started these amazing nonprofits and you're coaching. Tell us about the, um, how, what do you call it? But the get rid of the shoulds. Tell us about that. Where did that, what are you doing with that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So my podcast is called Shred the Should. It's also a talk that I give fairly regularly, whether it's an event or for professional development, because Shred the Should can mean so many different things depending on the audience. Last night, I actually gave Shred the Should as a talk about burnout prevention and stress. So we like to talk very reactively about burnout. We like to talk about burnout recovery rather than burnout prevention. And when I talk about burnout, there are two main things I focus on. One is going to be all your external factors. I kind of do this Venn diagram where there's a burnt piece of toast in the middle and I'm like, that's you. And on one side of the Venn diagram, there are all these external factors like your job, your boss, socioeconomic status, race, gender, all these things that play into the amount of burnout that you feel. And that some of them might not totally be in your control, but those are the things that we talk a lot about, right? We always say, I'm so burnt out because of work, my schedule, my boss, all of that. What we don't often acknowledge is how our internal dialogue, thoughts, beliefs about ourselves, how all of that influences the amount of stress and burnout that we experience. So if you're a perfectionist, if you're a people pleaser, if you constantly have negative thoughts about yourself, that's all increasing the stress response in your body. And that's all contributing to burnout. And at its core, burnout is a prolonged state of stress where your needs are not being met. And we're not good at meeting our needs. Like as a society, we suck. We're really good at meeting other people's needs, right? We're really good at asking our kids, like, what do you need? Or asking our partner, what do you need? Asking our boss, right? If we're taking care of a parent, like asking everyone what they need. And our needs get put on the back burner. So I talk about burnout as, you know, you're cooking for everyone else on the stove And you put your food on the burner way in the back and you forget about it because you're focusing on everyone else. And now your food's burnt and you're hangry and sad, right? So we think about that in our own lives. We're on autopilot a lot. And so where a lot of that comes from are these shoulds and these should shame, right? Like I should be a better mom. I should be a better partner. I should be more successful. Or you open social media and it's like, I should have a house. They have a house. I should have kids. They have kids. I should look a certain way. I should talk a certain way. There's so many shoulds. And I talk about it like you're playing limbo and you're letting somebody else hold the bar, you know? So you're playing limbo, you make it under the bar. You're like, yeah, I'm doing so well. And they're like, that's cute. And then they move the bar again, you know, and you're constantly playing with something that's out of your control when you are living your life based on everything you think you should do to be liked, successful, accepted, all of that. And that's leading to internal burnout. That's learning, leaning towards more internal shame, which is leaning towards more negative feelings about yourself, increased depression, anxiety, all of that. So for me, it's helping clients or anyone who listens to my podcast identify what their shoulds are, where they learned that, and how they can start to take steps to unlearn that and shred those shoulds. I I love that because that's exactly what I talk about all the time is like who, you know, having that positive intelligence, you know, that mental fitness, get rid of the people pleaser, put your cape on first. I always talk, we have a, we have what's called our Shira league, Alex. So every Sunday evening from eight to 9 PM, we get together. It's on zoom. You can wear makeup. No, you're from home, whatever you want to wear, as long as you've got clothes on, you can come, but you have to put your cape on first because if you don't, like you said, it's always, I wish I would have, I wish I would have. Everybody takes from you and your, your cape gets torn. Right. And so I love what you said about, you know, exactly that picture of your food's on the back burner. So you're always on the back burner. And, you know, if we don't do something for ourselves, we 
first, we can't do all those things we want to do for our loved ones, our job, our career, whatever that is, we can't. And, you know, um, I lost my son last July in a tragic car accident. And one of the things he always talks about when he was here was that, mom, I always see you do forever for yourself before your cup's always full, basically, he would say. Why is that? I'm like, because if I don't fill my cup up first, I can't be the mom I want to be for you guys. I can't be the wife. I can't run my business. Like all those things that the can't will happen. But if I put my cape on first and I do for me first, and it wasn't always like that. I was always, I was a top five mortgage broker in my, in Virginia when I was a mortgage broker, I was the number one female in my company. So I was always going, going, going. And when I got to Florida, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I had to learn to put myself first. And so I had to figure out who I was. And like you said, you know, our mental fitness is so, so dependent on us taking care of ourselves first. Because, you know, if there's one lesson I did learn with my son's passing is we're not promised tomorrow. So if you're not doing something for you and you pass tomorrow or tonight, right? In the next 30 seconds, life changes. What is your family going to say about what they saw they you did for yourself, right? I mean, like for Alex, we're sitting here talking with Alex and Alex could say, at 17, she said, my family wasn't taking care of me. I'm going to go do something for me. I'm going to go take care of me. I'm going to go get my goals that I want to do so that I can be the person I want to be, right? She, her, her examples were not there. So she went and she found the mentors to do that. And so that's what we, I, the listeners, I, I'm glad Alex, you're sharing that, is that the shoulds, what we need to get rid of, are really, really key to how we succeed in life as well. So thank you for sharing that. Now let's talk about your nonprofits. I love, let's talk about, so you mentioned what you're doing for the kids in college. Tell us a little bit about that nonprofit. Yeah. And I'm um, sorry to hear that about your son. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, yeah, I mean, Foster Independence Foundation, I officially formed it in 2021 because when I lost my job, I left a large caseload of students who needed support. Again, that wasn't a university sanctioned program. It was kind of like my second job that I created for myself. My college access program with high schoolers in foster care was a grant funded program. I was half employed by the university, half employed by the Department of Children and Families. And that was what I was getting paid to do. And then everything else that I did with college students, that was just word of mouth and referrals. And I developed a caseload of a couple hundred that I was helping. And also through speaking at national conferences, I have connections at other universities that have come to me for help as well. I've been doing a lot of trainings with different departments to help them understand the needs of these students, the barriers they're facing and how to work with them in a trauma-informed manner. You know, we talked a lot about self-advocacy and asking for help. And a lot of these students struggle with that because again, you might be growing up learning that adults are not safe. Maybe you've tried to self-advocate before. It hasn't gone well. Maybe people haven't believed you. I remember actually, you know, side note where I learned the first time it wasn't safe to share. I shared with my high school track team that I thought I was pretty close with and they all laughed and told me I was lying. So that was my first experience. Well, second experience after DCF being called and me not being removed from the home. And, you, you know, you can imagine what happens in an abusive home when they find out you told someone what they're doing and you still live in that home. And then on top of that, you know, at, I have a lot of self-love and self-respect at this point in my life, but I remember at the time, something that was always told to me was nobody's ever going to love you. So if you end up in foster care, 
you're going to be treated worse than you are here. You're never going to find anyone. You're never going to be adopted. And I remember being told that in elementary school and middle school. And so at that age, I'm like, that's scary. I'd rather just stay here, you know? And, and there is an element of you. Like I, I did really love my mom at one point. I don't know if that's trauma bonding or, you know, just actual love, um, you know, where you're constantly searching for that person's approval and you think you love them, but it's not really love. Who knows? I was in elementary school, but what I will say is it's all of those reasons why students really struggle with self-advocacy when they become adults, or even there's a lot of cultural pieces to it. Like I'm a first generation student. Uh, my parents didn't go to college in this country. They're not from this country. They're from Russia. So, you know, you have that, that the old country mentality of the, you know, mental health doesn't exist. You don't talk to people about your problems. And so a lot of students I work with culturally, that's what they've been brought up with too. So all that to say, there's a lot of reasons why they struggle with self-advocacy. There's a lot of reasons why they struggle with accessing resources. There are a lot of resources that they need that don't currently exist. So what I try to do is I try to be the middle person and help do some life coaching with them, help connect them with resources, help them learn how to be resourceful. Because that's one of the biggest things I learned through this whole journey is that resources come and go, but resourcefulness lasts forever, right? So help them tap into that resourcefulness. And then I do FAFSA override letters for them. So a student joins my caseload. I keep them for a year. And in exchange, I will write that letter for them because I know they have nobody else to do it. And I will fight the university for them too. I will make sure that they get pushed through as independent status. It's so hard to get someone pushed through, honestly, because they don't want students taking advantage of the system. But like, really what you get is a $5,000 Pell Grant and then a bunch of loans. So what I got was a hundred grand in debt. I feel like I really took advantage of the system by being an independent student, right? So that's kind of some of the work that I do. And then I also have a scholarship program. One of my goals is to be able to help students get their first apartment. So right now the scholarship program is very reactive. It's like, you're, you're a student that was just brought to me and you're about to be without anywhere to stay two weeks from now. Here's money to give the university so they let you stay in this small dorm room. Here's $1,500 so they let you stay in the small dorm room for a month. And I don't want to do that. That's not what my long-term goal is, but sometimes that's the only option. And even with that, I have to convince the university to let them stay. And that's a lot of times where the money's going. Sometimes it's going for other things, but you know, for the most part, it's that. What I want to do is be able to raise more money to help students with security deposits. So now you are getting your first apartment. Because again, co-signer, I mean, I'm in my 30s, right? I'm still having issues finding places for rent because my credit was so shot from that point in my life. And I'm still getting asked if I have a co-signer. And like, I'm not somebody who gets triggered by most things. But if you want to trigger me, ask me if I have a co-signer because I've been going through this for so many years. And Students don't have that. And then if you don't have a cosigner, they're like, okay, cool. We need you to pay triple the amount of the security deposit. So what I would like to do is change the scholarship model over towards, towards that. And then I also have access to food. I've been doing a lot of food donations for students. What I do that's different is it's not just a regular pantry. I actually will take requests for what students want because there's, again, like as an as a nutrition coach as well, like there's a really big correlation between food insecurity and developing an eating disorder. And that's kind of where it happened for me too. And a lot of my students that I work with. And so I want to make sure that the food that they're eating is dietarily appropriate. Like I had celiac and I was eating gluten because that's what I had access to. I worked at Subway. So we're eating all those grinders. 
And it's culturally appropriate because again, going back to mental health, it's already really hard for them to be in the situation that they're in. And our society does a really good job of being like, you should just be grateful for whatever you can get. And I, I love gratitude. I will practice gratitude all day long for all the things, but being like, Hey, this is your situation. And so, you know, here's table scraps and you should be grateful for that. You should be okay with that. And it's like, but I can't eat that. And it's like, but it's food. Are you really starving if you don't eat this? Right. That's that mentality. And so for me, it's really important to provide students with food that matches what they need. So that's something else that I do. But yeah, that's really, you know, that scholarship support, helping with food. I have access to furniture to help them furnish their first apartment, which is really cool. And just wanting to do more work to help get them into that first apartment. But most of what I do is focused on those life skills, mentoring, connecting them with other students, connecting them with resources, helping them learn how to problem solve a little bit better, kind of get them out of survival mode, and then being able to help them with that FAFSA override while they're in school. And you were saying, you know, I probably have students coming to me saying I did what those other people did for me. Yeah, I actually just spoke with one of my students yesterday who I'm, she's graduating and I'm going back up for her graduation in May. And she was like, yeah, I literally, if you asked me before I met you, I literally didn't think I'd be able to graduate. And now here she is. So that's really cool. And I just love the work that I'm doing. You know, I've been doing that work for years, even before starting the nonprofit. And then I was like, I should probably start it as a 501c3 so we can do more things. And here we are. I just, I I just think it's so beautiful that you're doing that. And that And like you said, you're going to go see somebody graduate, right? But I mean, just to take what the lessons you learn and find a way to pay it forward and find a way to uplift somebody else and and to do that. And I love your creativity about how you want to shift it, how you want to help, because you're right. I mean, there's not the resources there if they if they don't have a co-signer, then 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 you're also looking at the risk of them living in their car, living on the street, those kinds of things. And that's the last thing we want. For, for them. And I just think it's amazing. Alex, you're a great example of taking your situation, overcoming it, and then finding how can I pay forward my lesson, right? And that's what we all should do. I think that's what the lesson I, I hope it takes from this podcast today is to take that and say, these are the things we need to do to move forward and to create, you know, a life, a, a legacy, like you're leaving a legacy behind for some, like the mentors have done for you. They've left a legacy with you of how you want to change the world, how you want to empower somebody else to get that education and, and to help do that fast. I mean, you're right. Like, oh, you're really taking advantage of the system because you're creating all this debt. I know I have the debt from, you know, my son. And for those who don't know, when um, he passed, we found out all those loans were forgiven, which I was shocked. I had no idea. So if there's anybody listening that's lost a child and you have all those student loans, call them because that's one lesson that I learned. But you've taken all those hard knocks and you've created opportunities, not just for yourself, but for others and for their futures. And I think that's really powerful. I think it goes a long way. I can't wait to see what you do with a nonprofit and how it grows for yourself. How can somebody find out about that, that portion, that, that particular nonprofit you're working on there? Yeah. So they can visit our website. I will send you the link. It's fosterindependencefoundation.org, but I'll send you the link to share with folks. We are also on Instagram. They can find us there or they can just honestly contact me directly on Instagram. That's the best 
the best way. I run all the things, but they can just contact me. My Instagram is I am Alex Katz. Alex Katz is also a famous painter. So I had to do the I am because everything was taken. Uh, But yeah, I would honestly love to have people involved. Like I could really use support with fundraising, event planning, volunteering. There's so much that I'm trying to do. I'm actually in the process of trying to renovate a mini bus to be a mobile food pantry and to also, I know, right. (laughs) I just applied for a grant for this one, but to help students on move in and move out days, because that was another really big thing. Again, when we talk about resources and sense of belonging, I remember every move in and move out being like, I have all this stuff and I'm hoping I have some sort of friend who's going to want to help me. And I'm shifting dorm rooms multiple times throughout the year. Or, you know, sometimes I'd have friends who'd let me stay in their place, but it's a lot. And then it also just increases those feelings of I don't belong here or something's wrong with me when you watch everybody else have their parents come and hug you and be like, wow, so proud of you. You did it. End of the school year here. Let me help you carry your stuff. So for my students, it was literally me and my car and we're going to load everything in my car. I'm going to take you where you need to go. And I'm going to be that for you. Or, you know, same thing with move in days. Like, let me see your new dorm room. Let me tell you how excited I am for you. Let me help you. Right. Just to have that sense of normalcy. So one of the things I'm doing, I'm trying to renovate the bus because the, at least the university that I'm talking about doesn't currently have a food pantry, but there's also other spaces that could use this because typically mobile food pantries go to low-income areas. Not all universities are in low-income areas, but all universities have some sort of issue like this, right? So I can move it around. I could use it to help transport furniture when they move into their first apartment. I could use it to help them move, you know, I'm working on getting volunteers for move in and move out days to help the students. So there are a lot of things I want to do. And I could definitely use help with volunteers, fundraising, ideas, any anything really. Yeah, we'll definitely push it out. Make sure everybody has all the links. Everything will be linked. So read the post, watch here and, and make sure you reach out to Alex if you know of any way to help her. I kind of chuckled. Alex saw me kind of chuckle when she mentioned the bus because if some of the originals that have been following us, I actually am converting a vintage uh, camper into a mobile bougie living room. And we're going to go across the country, Alex. We're going to meet up with other women like yourself at different organizations to sit down, just have conversations like we're doing here today about, you know, what do you need help with? How, how can we support you? And, and we have all kinds of great ideas we're doing with her. Her, her name is Poppin' Pearl. So Poppin' Conversations of Pearl across the country. So we're really excited to kick her off. So I, this has been fun. I can't believe our time is almost over here. It's been flying by so fast. So Alex, what's coming up for you? What's the what's the what's the new thing as you're the mountain you're walking up? What's what's the top of the mountain? Ooh, the top. I don't know if there is a top. I kind of am just enjoying the uh, the trek up the mountain here, or maybe hopping mountains because I do so many things. I think definitely with Foster Independence Foundation, I've got a lot that I'm working on there. I'm also in the process of building a Ninja Warrior playground in Wilmington, Delaware. So with Neighborhood Ninjas, we are building Ninja Warrior playgrounds in low-income and rural areas to provide a safe play space. And these playgrounds are actually rated ages 13 and up. So it actually helps increase healthy and active lifestyles for teens through adults, not just kids, because most playgrounds are geared towards younger ages. It gives them something new they can do. So that playground is set to be built in September. So I've been doing a lot of work on that behind the scenes. And then with Neighborhood Ninjas, we also are gearing up for our scholarships for the National Ninja League World Championships again that we do every year. We're training gyms in the darkness to light 
partners in prevention program. So that's basically a child sexual abuse prevention training that we're training all ninja gyms across the country in currently. And so we're doing a lot of work there. And then Texas Rescue Network is also fairly new. So that's my other nonprofit. And I, outside of that nonprofit, I'm literally out rescuing dogs every single day here, but the nonprofit is not an actual rescue. It's aiming to take an upstream approach. So we're focusing on increasing access to resources like spay and neuter, microchipping, bilingual education, because I over half the population here doesn't speak English, right? So bilingual education is really important, also culturally appropriate education. And then we are actually in the process of rolling out a school service learning program. So putting students in charge of figuring out how to help educate the community, how to help us with access to these resources. So we're really, really excited for that. And then we are also launching a YouTube series that's coming out. So we will be going around and interviewing rescues, shelters, different organizations that are involved in animal welfare and shining a spotlight on them, kind of similar to what you're about to do, where it's like, well, what support do you need? How can we help you? How can people get involved? Because I think that a lot of times people are doing really good work, but people don't know that those resources exist. So we want to shine a spotlight on that. And I'm really excited for what Texas Rescue Network is doing because we're basically trying to provide support to rescues that they currently need that doesn't exist. Because right now, you know, San Antonio alone has 35,000 stray and roaming dogs in the city. So shelters are past capacity and they're just pulling in dogs, pulling in dogs. And then there's like 30 to 50 dogs that get euthanized every single day because there's just not space. So for us, it's like, okay, that's cool that you keep, you know, we talk about the, the river analogy, right? Like let's say there's dogs floating in the river and you're trying to pull the dogs out, pull the dogs out. And it's like, but how are these dogs ending up in the river in the first place? So for us, we're trying to go upstream, stop all the dogs from being in the river because everybody else is overwhelmed trying to pull them out. And they just, we just can't, we just don't have capacity. So those are the things that I'm working on right now. Um, I also have a retreat coming up in Connecticut in April. I haven't announced it yet, but I guess I'm announcing it now. <laughs> and I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to travel a lot. We're doing some big fundraising events for the playground. I'm working with a JCC to do a big event with them to help introduce kids to Ninja, give them something fun to do, and then going up to Connecticut for these graduations, retreat, and then I'm hosting a really big event for Foster Independence Foundation as well. So a lot of things going on. Very excited about it. I don't know what the top of the mountain looks like, but I'm I'm enjoying the peak that I'm on right now. I love it. So something that I'm taking away from today, and I, I hope everybody, the listeners get this. Alex, you didn't have a community there when you were younger, but you are creating the community for the future. And I just think that's so powerful that you walk, that that's what you're doing. And that's your legacy. I feel like you're, you're creating a community for those who don't have the community like what you didn't have growing up. And I'm so excited to see what's coming up for you. I definitely keep us in the loop. If you come to Tampa, Florida, make sure you let us know. We'll support you. We'll invite you to a couple events. We'll try to put an event on for you as well. So I just think it's so powerful what you're doing. And um, I, I just, I'm proud of you. I'm just proud of everything you're doing. And we need more, we need more women like you doing these things. We need more of our young adults like saying, I don't see, I don't like something I see. How can I change it? Instead of often we hear about our younger adults going, I want, what are you going to give me? Right. So we need more. You're an inspiration to our younger adults to say, how can I give? Because when you give, you know, you receive in many different, it's, it's tenfold. So 
I'm so excited you were here with us today. I'm so excited that we got to share, <clears throat> excuse me, share with everybody today. And if you're listening, I'm fighting a little cold, but <laughs> I want to remind everybody, we have our Shiro League every Sunday evening, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. You can come in. It's totally free for a one or two time visit. We have meditation. We support one another right now. We're working on, on our six-week goals for the first uh, next six weeks of the year. But also, we want you to know that you come into this world. You're a little rough oyster on the outside, but inside you have a pearl and you are your inner pearl to greatness. And I hope you go find it today. Have an awesome day. Thanks, Alex. Thank you so Hi, much. Hi, my name is Pearl Sharenza and I'm with Women Successful Living. And I want to tell you a little story. You see, once upon a time in the middle of COVID, I noticed that more and more women were overwhelmed. We were having to balance households. We're having to become teachers. We're having to work our job while we're trying to become a teacher. We were sitting in our home with our children and our spouses or our loved ones and feeling overwhelmed. We were lost for where we're going to find space in our own house. So I was feeling that this overwhelm was stressing women out more, that they felt like they could not have a Calgon take me away moment. They felt like everywhere they turn, somebody in the house would find them or their job wanted them on another Zoom meeting. And I just felt so sorry for these women as I spoke with them and felt the pain because I too was feeling sorry. I was feeling sorry that I couldn't go out and do the things I love to do. I could go out, yes, and take a walk and sit on my front swing, but I couldn't go to the community meetings and the fundraiser functions or go have lunch with a friend or go to the movies with my husband or just take a, a moment away from everything that we're responsible for as moms and wives in our homes, right? You become that CEO mom and you're running a household. But then if you're working outside of the household, not only are you a CEO mom, and if you're asking what a CEO mom is, that's a mom who is running the household. Because let me tell you, you're not sitting around eating bonbons every day. You truly are running a business of a home. But then maybe you also work outside of the home. And here you are, you're trying to balance working in the home, working outside the home. And then maybe you have children and you're having to learn how to become a teacher because bless our teachers, they're trying to learn a whole new way of teaching through Zoom. And so as I spoke to the women in my community and my clients, I found they were also feeling all this overwhelm. They were becoming stressed. They were sitting in, in the home with all their children and their spouse and they're going, I'm with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I love you but I don't love you that much. Were you feeling that way too? So I found as they were feeling this way that I had to do something. And every day, about a month after into the pandemic, I decided to try something new. I decided to create a space where we could meet via Zoom. And yes, I know another Zoom meeting, really Pearl, but I just knew that was the only way that we could get together. And the rule was you had to go in a room where you could put a note in the door and say, I'm on a break. I'm on a timeout. Whatever you want to call it, you can make that note on your door. Because really, we have to take time for ourselves in order to really take time and care for our family, our loved ones, and our job the way we know we want to and we need to. So what I did is I created what we called our self-care Sunday evening. And it actually became Shiro's is what we ended up naming it. Because we as women, we are the hero of the house. We're the hero of 
everything we do for our family, our friends, our job, our, whatever that is that you're responsible for, right? But are you really the hero for yourself? So that became important to me. So one day I decided I want to pour into these women. So I brought them together on a Zoom meeting. We met Sunday evening, 8 p.m. We finished up by 9 p.m. We just had conversations. What was challenging them? What was the pandemic bringing up for them? How were they doing mentally? Were, were they doing something to take care of themselves? And if you heard me before, I say bathtubs and taking baths are not self-care, but really during the pandemic, sometimes that's all you could do was get in a tub with bubbles and take a few minutes for yourself, right? So as we poured into them, I, I noticed that they were starting to enjoy the self-care. They were starting to be less stressed. They were starting to communicate better with their family and their and their loved ones because they could communicate why they were taking time for themselves. They were able to communicate that it's not that I don't love being with you. It's that because I love you so much, I need time for myself. So on Sunday evenings, we worked on things about self-care challenges. We created a challenge of self-care where every day they had to do something. It could be something that took them one minute, or if they wanted to, it could be something that took them an hour. But it was their job to do something for themselves every single day. And then because of that, they they saw that their family, they were worried that their family might feel make them feel guilty. So we started incorporating ways that they could do self-care for ourselves as we also did something with our family, right? So in some cases, we found that we were sitting, we had moms sitting and just watching TV, silly cartoons with their children. That's self-care, right? Or maybe playing a puzzle game or putting a puzzle together. And then when it came to their spouses, we found that they were sitting and finding movies on Netflix or writing, playing cards, or even we gave them a challenge. We have a friend that has these great cards. They're called Better Questions, Better Life. We even would pull a card and have a discussion with our loved one around that card. And then as they were working from home, some of the, our, our professional women were finding that their jobs were having much more demand on them that because they were home, they could actually kind of have more time they could grab for them. Oh, well, you're home all day long, so you really don't need to take a break. So they started finding that some of their jobs and their bosses were expecting them to give more. So we talked about how to set boundaries around our schedules. We talked about how to set boundaries around how much we want to be on Zoom. And as we did that, we found that the women were less stressed and they were actually performing their job performance better. They were having better and more improved relationships with their loved one, with their children. And some of them also had family that were in nursing homes. So we were creative on how to spend that time with their loved ones, but also making sure that they were taking care of themselves. So as we did this, I saw that it was a need that needed to continue. So even though the pandemic, is, as we know it today, is over, I found that the women loved this so much, we needed to continue this. And who knew that three years ago when I started this, that it would grow into what we have today, this amazing community of women that we still meet every Sunday evening from 8 to 9 p.m. We talk about things that bring us joy. We talk about challenges we're having in our lives. We're talking about things we're having to overcome. We have some women that are struggling in their marriages. We're talking about how 
we pour into them and how to help them work through communication. We have amazing, amazing guest speakers that come in every month. We've had Jane Pilker come in and talk up to us about our mind and the neurological part of our mind when it comes to our eating and our health and sugar and how it affects our body. We've had Sets and Torah come in and talk to us about the smile method and how we have things such as just the smile within us that can make things like mock acceptance where we're accepting things because we think we have to accept them. Like for instance, my loss of my son, Matthew, I never knew that when I created this group three years ago, almost now, how much I needed these women. And because I have this community of women around me, I met Seth and Seth taught me about mock acceptance. And he taught me that, yes, I was accepting the loss of my son, but I wasn't truly believing that he was lost. And I was sort of like going through the motions. So ever since I have put this group together, this community of women, we have watched the women flourish. We have watched them have less stress. We've watched them communicate better with their loved ones. We've watched them put boundaries around their self-care so that they can achieve the things they want to, so that they can put their cape on first as they pour into their family even better. And ever since we've started this self-care Shiro group, it has grown where we now at our retreats, we have women joining us during our retreats. We meet Every year we have a retreat in September. It's a pajama retreat. You come in your PJs, no makeup. You have about four days at the beach, sometimes the mountains, depending on the year. And we just have sessions and breakout groups on how do we improve on our self-care? How do we continue to communicate our needs to our loved ones? How do we find what our goals are and our visions are? And how do we bring those to fruition because how many of you ever sat back and said, I have this big goal and I really want to do it, but nobody believes I can do it. I want you to know that we believe in you. And we know that you can do it. And so if this is something that you want to learn more about and come and enjoy a great way to end your week and begin your week, I would love for you to join us because on top of our speakers, we also have an amazing meditation coach where she in, empowers us sit down and just take some quiet time for ourselves and just be in our own space as we reflect on what we truly want within. And I am so honored to watch the progress and the growth that the women in this community have accomplished. And I cannot wait to see what's coming up for all of them and hopefully for you. And if this is something you would love to learn more about, I would love to invite you to come and visit us one Sunday evening. Like I said, it's a great way to end your week and a great way to start your week. What better to know that you've got a balcony of people sitting and waiting for you to join them, have a cup of tea maybe, and just do some laughing, maybe a little crying, but no matter what, know that you've got a girlfriend there to have your back. So if you're ready to check out the Shira League, I would love for you to join us. All you have to do is email me at pearl at wsliving.com. That's pearl at wsliving.com. And I would love to connect you. I hope today you know that we've all come into this world. We're a little oyster. We might be a little rough on the outside, but on the inside, you have a pearl. And I hope you find your pearl to greatness today 
as you become the Shiro I know you are. My name is Pearl Sorenza. Do you know what your score is for your self-care? Find out today. Go to pearlssurvey.com. That's pearlssurvey.com and see what your score is today. Hello, sunshine. Good to see you.